2 Corinthians today, 2 Corinthians 1, and we'll be in verses 3 through 7. We're taking a little bit of a break just, just for this week uh, from our series in Matthew. Um, Second Corinthians 1, starting in verse 3. It should be on the screen if you need it. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, and if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you, also, you will also share in our comfort. Let's pray. Lord, as we consider this timely word this morning, may our hearts be drawn to worship. May our hearts be drawn not only to worship, but may our hearts be drawn to a humble reality that you are Lord and there is no other. I pray, Lord, now in this moment, during this message even, would you encourage and would you comfort the hearts of your saints? Would you prick the hearts of those who are far from you? Lord, would you admonish those who are idle? Comfort those who are weak. Do this now, we pray, by your Spirit through your word, for your glory, we ask. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Like I said, I wasn't planning for this message today, um, and I'm a guy who likes to plan, so that makes me very uncomfortable. But, but when a situation like I feel like we had this week hits, hits, it, it seems to me, and the Lord really impressed on me, that we needed to change directions. It didn't, it didn't feel right to just continue preaching in Matthew 4. I wanted us to consider suffering. Now, I know we've, we've went through the book of Job, and you're probably wondering, Daniel, we, we've heard enough about suffering. Why do we need to hear another word about suffering? But I want us to consider what does it mean for our church when suffering strikes us in such a, such a concrete way? How are we to think of it? Well, the Apostle Paul, he knew and understood suffering, and I think there's a good word from him even here this morning. If you look down in verse 8, if you have your Bibles open to 2 Corinthians, he says in verse 8, for we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Think for a minute. I don't know what you've experienced this past week. I know for me, especially this week, has been really challenging. 
I think for anyone who knew Joellen, this was a really challenging week, but these afflictions that Paul's talking about here could be various. It could be the death of a loved one. It could be uh, people at your, at your job. It could, be, it could be of various things. And he says in verse 9, he goes on, he says, Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, utterly abandoned, utterly forsaken. And he says in verse 9, but, that, but that, was make, what, that, that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. Do you, do you hear that? All of that affliction, notice what he says the purpose of it was for. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. Every affliction you and I ever encounter, that's the purpose of it that we would not rely on ourselves, but we would rely on the God who raises the dead. So jump down to verse 3. Now that's just the purpose why we landed here today, and I want you to see in verse 3 what he goes on to say, where he builds up to this. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Now in, in now I'll give, give you some more context for 2 Corinthians. Uh, Paul had already written 1 Corinthians to them, and he wrote this on the apostolic authority, but what was happening was in the church, he wrote the letter, they were a little offended, just a little bit, go read First Corinthians, they were very offended because he said some really hard things, and there were people that called themselves super apostles that basically started saying, you know that Paul, he's a real weak guy, he's a real loser, we shouldn't listen to him, why are we listening to his authority? And, and, and there, would, there would have been a very traditional opening in most synagogues at the time as well that would have started with something very similar. But notice how Paul, he starts it off. So, no, remember, so the context is he's writing this letter to address the fact that people are undermining his apostolic authority. And then they, he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This just shows in this moment how different Paul was than me and you. Because if this would have been me writing this letter, I would have been like, listen, listen, y'all. <laughs> y'all aren't listening to me. Like, you need to listen, okay? That's not what he does. What's he start with? He starts with praise. He says, I'm, I'm going to turn vertical here. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. So if you're taking notes there, you'll see that first piece of the God of all comfort. Now, this should be kind of surprising to you. I hope it's surprising to you. Because comfort is not a characteristic. You can't say of Daniel, well, Daniel, he's, a, he's, he's, he's Daniel of comfort. You can't, it doesn't work. It doesn't, we don't call people, hey, well, he's comfortable. That's not what this is saying. But what happens when the holy, loving, gracious, merciful God encounters sufferers? That's what happens. That's what we need to consider when he says the God of comfort. Because God in himself is not comfortable. He is holy, he is loving, he is merciful and gracious, and what happens is he encounters sufferers, and he's the God of comfort. That's what it says. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort. Comfort is what happens when a loving God encounters sufferers. He sees people brokenhearted in their affliction, and it's what happens when a loving God encounters them. Now, notice what he describes it. He describes it in two ways, the God of comfort. He says, first, the Father of mercies. So he's not only the God of comfort, but he's the Father of mercies. Now, I want you to consider for a moment, the Christian 
is no longer known as an enemy of God. At one time, the Christian and everyone was known as an enemy or an opposition, an adversary to God. But now, it says, the father of mercies. The Christian now no longer knows God as an enemy. He knows him as father. I want you to consider the striking nature of that. The father who has poured out his mercies upon sinners. Ephesians 2, he says it like this in another place. He's now referring to us. He says, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But notice what he says. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. I love then what Thomas Watson, he goes on to say, he says, God has a multitude of kind of mercies. As our hearts and the devil are the father of a variety of sins, so God is the father of a variety of mercies. There is no sin or misery that God does not have mercy for. I want want you to hear that one more time. There is no sin or misery that God does not have mercy for. Do you see how contrary this picture is of God? This is coming from a guy who they're saying to him in 2 Corinthians, we don't listen to you. You're just a weakling. You're just a loser. And he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, which leads us to our second piece. So the Father of mercies, but also the God of all comfort. He is the God of all comfort. Now this word comfort, it's very confusing. It's confusing in the original language. It's confusing in our own language. So I'm going to do my best to explain what this word means because <laughs> it's not what you think it probably means at first. It actually comes from the word, if, if, and the Holy Spirit has oftentimes been called, in some translations, the paraclete. Anybody heard the paraclete before? Yes, the paraclete. So, but the para, that word paraclete or paracleo is the, is the word. It's, it brings with it a sense of encouragement, Not only just a sense of encouragement, it's a sense of encouragement, but also strengthening. So when we use the word comfort, it really kind of falls short. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to use the word comfort, but I'm going to also interchange it with paraclete to help you see there's there's more nuance here, okay? It's a sense of encouragement. The word itself could mean a lifting of one's spirit. And the one whom God calls alongside, which is the Spirit, will be sent to us, and he will be the one who is the one who lifts our spirit. Now, I'll say it again. Comfort is not a part of who God is. We don't call God, hey, God, we know you because you are comfortable. That's not what this is about. This is what happens when a holy, loving, merciful God interacts with people in affliction. He brings them comfort, encouragement strengthening. He doesn't necessarily remove the affliction. I want you to hear that one more time. If you're walking through affliction, especially for the Nash family right now, he does not remove the affliction. He comforts us in the affliction. Hear that one more time, because if you've ever walked through affliction for any period of time, you need to hear this. He doesn't remove the affliction. He comforts in the affliction, which is far different than what we want. Now, notice what he says in verse 4. 
He says, who comforts us in all our affliction. Now, these afflictions, I want you to, it should be on your screen, but you could turn over a few pages to 2 Corinthians 4. I want you to hear some of the ways that Paul describes these afflictions. He describes them this way. He says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed or or confused, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. The afflictions that Paul describes here could be everything from everyday common afflictions of frustrations at work to frustrations of the fact that you're even a Christian and you're neglected to the most severe afflictions possible. The most terrible deaths, the most terrible imprisonments. And if you're taking notes, I want you to see this. It should be at the top of your page. This is what I want us to see. If you get nothing from today, get this. Since God comforts us in our affliction, we can comfort others in their affliction with the comfort we have received. Let's say it one more time. Since God comforts us in our affliction, we can comfort others in their affliction with the comfort we have received. Okay, so that's where we're going. And I want you to see, secondly, though, the second point there should be God's purpose in our affliction. Now, notice what God does with our affliction. There is, and if you didn't learn this from Job, you probably just weren't paying attention for the weeks that we did it, but affliction is always purposeful. Suffering, God always has a point in suffering. And God's purpose in affliction, notice what he says. He says the same thing. It's like he just read the book of Job. He says, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. The purpose that Paul gives for why God comforts those in affliction is that we may be able to comfort them, that we may be able to come beside those who are hurting, And their afflictions, they're intentional. They're purposeful. They are not purposeless. And in a culture that lives, that says, suffering, it's just something that happens to us. there's, There's no purpose in it. It's just purposeless suffering. The biblical witness is so contrary to it. It says there is no suffering that's purposeless. And I want you to see God's direct comfort. Now, I'm not going to cover this one as much but we need to see God's comfort coming to us in two ways. The first is God's direct comfort. And this is typically how we talk of God's comfort to, to people. And this is God himself coming to them. And I want you to see in a couple places, I'll just read from two different places in Scripture. He says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Or Psalm 147, he says, he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Now, the direct way that God interacts with us, we're very used to. What I want to cover for us today is the indirect way he uses it. And this, this my friends, is astounding. This, every time I consider this reality, it's God's indirect comfort that the God of the universe, when affliction comes, would not just come down himself and say, here, let me bind up your wounds. He actually uses me and you. 
that in a moment of affliction, me and you become instruments in the hands of Almighty God. I want to say that one more time, that me and you become instruments or tools in the hand of God Most High to bind up the, the affliction, to bind up and, and heal what is broken. We are able to comfort others with the comfort that we ourselves. Notice what he says again. He says in verse 4, So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted. Or to put it another way, so that we may be able to paraclete those who are in any affliction with the paraclete with which we ourselves have been paracleted. Isn't that very strange? That's literally what he's saying there. He's saying, encourage others with the encouragement you've been encouraged with. If you've been encouraged, that means you should be looking for others to encourage. I heard it once compared to people, that that people are not like the kitchen sink. Here's why how people are not like the kitchen sink. The kitchen sink is used to hold water. It's used to keep water, it's used to contain water, and people are terrible containers, but we're excellent conduits. And that's how God designed us. He didn't design us to be people who just receive comfort and just take it all in, and we're just here receiving comfort. Lord, here we are, just receiving comfort. He says, no, when you've received comfort, you're meant to be a conduit then for someone else, to comfort someone else. The, 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 the conduit Nature, the nature of conduit is it doesn't stay in the conduit. It's in the conduit, but then it goes out of it to something else. So brothers and sisters, if you've ever been comforted, your job, you should see that comfort that you've received by the Holy Spirit as an evidence that you need to go comfort someone else. Do you, do you see that? I hope we see that. Since God comforts us in our afflictions, we can comfort others in their affliction with the comfort we have received. And I just want to pause here for a second and consider the person who has been comforted but still grieving. What do we do with that person? Say the person that has lost a loved one, or, or maybe the affliction has passed in some ways, but they're still grieving and missing, missing out. It's likely they've experienced the comfort of the Holy Spirit, but they still grieve. They are still torn up inside. They still weep, and they still mourn. I want to remind you what we heard in the book of Job. As we learn from Job, sometimes some of the most righteous things me and you can do is just cry. Did you ever thought about that? Sometimes the most righteous things me and you can do is just cry toward God. Did you know that? That some of the most righteous, good things you can do is just weep and lament and mourn toward God. Listen to what Job says in Job 21.21. He said, this is after he had everything taken from him. He says, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I don't think he said that with like a stoic look on his face. I don't think he said, naked I've come, naked I shall return. No, he was weeping as he said those things. So what, what, what else should we be comforted with? Now he doesn't stop here, he goes on. But, and he, he asks the question, how, how can we be so confident that this comfort comes to the believers? Now notice what he says in verse five. 
This is very interesting. He says, for as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. And I want us to see Christ's sufferings and our comfort. Christ's sufferings and our comfort. Now, when Paul speaks here of the sufferings of Christ, he's not meaning here specifically about the atoning work of Christ. Okay, he's not meaning about Christ's sacrificial, penal, substitutionary atonement, atoning work. Okay, that's not what he's talking about here. But what he means when he talks about, now notice what he says again. I'll read it one more time, verse 5. He says, For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings. I want you to notice the logic that Paul does here. He associates us so close to Christ that he actually says in our sufferings, Christ is still suffering. Do you, do you notice that? I want you Look at it in another place. Philippians 3.10. I want you to see that this is not just the only place we see this. He says, my aim is to know him, to experience the power of his resurrection, to share in his sufferings. Do you, do you notice that? He doesn't just say, in my sufferings. Actually, in our sufferings, what he sees is they're actually a continuation of Christ's sufferings. Paul sees himself as filling up of the sufferings of Christ as the body of Christ continues to suffer here on this earth. I think actually the ESV has a footnote at this point, at at this verse, and I think it's very helpful. It says, For as the sufferings of Christ abound for us, so also our comforts abound through Christ. And what he's saying there is, you've experienced suffering, yes, yes, and your suffering is a continuation of, of Christ's suffering. And the same is true for the comforts. That, that, that means that Christ's sufferings are, are now our sufferings, which is beautiful because now Christ's comfort is our comfort. Do you see that logic that he's doing there? I want you to notice, though, when an unbeliever suffers... So this is for the believer. What happens to the unbeliever when they suffer? What happens to the unbeliever when they suffer? I think, I think uh, Calvin, he said it like this. He said, they, referring to the unbelievers, are tokens of the curse of God because they arise, this, that is the sufferings. They, the sufferings, are tokens of the curse of God because they arise from sin and nothing appears in them except the anger of God and participation with Adam, which cannot but depress the mind. If you're not a Christian here today, I want you to know that this is what suffering is for you. This is very sad. This is very depressing, as he would say. They are tokens of the curse of God. So for you, unbeliever, if you are here and you don't know Christ, know that your sufferings will only be just more affliction. You're filling up more and more and more affliction of the curse of Adam. So believe on Christ. Trust in him. But for the believer, that's not how suffering is is meant at all. Suffering is not meant as tokens of the curse of God. This is, this is what happens when a person becomes a Christian. When a person becomes a Christian, now listen to what he goes on to say. Suffering does not create more hostility toward God. Just the opposite. He goes on and says, believers, this is when suffering hits, are conformed to Christ. 
and bear about with them in their body his dying, that the life of Christ may one day be manifested in them. Do you see the difference? The, the unbeliever, they're just filling up more and 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 more of sin. And it's just more of a curse upon them. But for the believer, as we suffer, that we are more conformed to Christ so that one day when Christ appears, we will appear with him. Do you, do you see? That's his logic there. I love what Dane Ortland he says here. He says, it is through pain and affliction that we experience God himself. And the God of all comfort, who proved in Christ, who himself went through death and out the other side, that it is in the pain, not on the other side of it, that we taste God's very heart and inhale his deepest consolations. In the midst of suffering are the moments in which we experience the sufferings of Christ. Now, what ends up happening to us in this moment? So when suffering, let's just say, just use an example. When suffering hits a community, like we've just seen with Joellen's passing, what, do we, what, what are some of our temptations to do? Let me give you the first one. I'll give you my own temptation. It's to try to either numb the pain through other means or dull the pain. The second is that we would try to move away from them because we think, well, we, we don't want to say the wrong thing. We don't, I, I don't want to say the wrong thing and look like an idiot, and then, I, I, then I'll just make things worse. Or we tend to be like Job's friends, that we rush in way too quick and we start speaking when we shouldn't. But what if we began to see comfort, the comforting of others in their affliction, as something that God uses us for? What if we began to see, wait a second, afflictions have come upon this person Maybe God's using me as an instrument to come alongside them and maybe just sit and cry with them. What if we began to see that what sufferers need in the life of the church is a spirit-indwelt Christ follower to move toward them? We need to see that when we come to people who are suffering, we are not bringing ourselves. We are bringing the very message of Christ to them. We're bringing the very comfort of Jesus Christ. And that's Paul's logic here. Because he says, what he says again in verse 14, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves have been comforted. All right, let's keep going. And he goes on in verse 6. And he says, and I want you to see the assurance of the comfort that's coming to him. The assurance of of comfort. This is how he knows this is what's coming. The assurance of encouragement is coming for him. He says in verse 6, if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings. So there's two ways. There's two ways Paul says this can happen to you. This can either come to you through affliction, or this can come to you through comfort. I want to look at the first one. It's comfort when we are afflicted. And he says in verse 6, go back to verse 6 again. He says, if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. So the apostolic logic here is, if Paul is afflicted, it's for mine and your comfort. 
Suffering and affliction are never meaningless. And what he's saying here is, if I'm afflicted, that means that there will be more comfort for all of you. There's always a greater purpose happening underneath suffering. And part of that purpose is for individuals to receive comfort themselves. As he'll he'll say later in 2 Corinthians 4, 15, he says, For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving and glory to God. This means for us that when we participate in the sufferings of Christ, we receive comfort. The same comfort that allowed Paul and Silas to sing in prison can be ours. Acts 16, this is what he says. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Where were they sitting? In the prison. In the prison cells. What's the purpose of it? And prisoners were listening to them. Hearing, hearing, hearing of the comfort by which they were receiving in their affliction. So the other assurance is that not only in their affliction, but also in their comfort will we be comforted. So it's comfort or encouragement in our encouragement. And then he says, and if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we, su- that we suffer. I want to end with this. So this Notice what he says in verse 7. He says, Our hope for you is unshaken. For we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For Paul, he leaves us with a firm hope. And it's our firm hope. It's the firm hope that is found in Jesus Christ. He says it again, our hope for you is unshaken. It's like a bedrock. Here's why. Because Paul's vision of the Christian life is that of both light and that of love. Light, enough to see how to move forward from tragedy to glory. Love, enough to know that one is held in the divine embrace, which which will not only comfort in the present, but will remain faithful and victorious in the future. And brothers and sisters, if this was Paul's hope, certainly it should be ours. It was Paul's firm hope, and it is our hope as well. I want to give you just one, one more example, just to close us out. First um, Thessalonians was the passage we read earlier. And I, w- I want you to notice, I want to draw, draw it to your mind again. You can turn there if you want, because this is where we'll close. The concern in First Thessalonians is that there were some who were saying that the day of the Lord had come, and that, and, that, and that Christ had already returned, and that they had somehow missed it. And he tells them in verse 13, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, that's what he's referring to, about those who are asleep or those who have passed away, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. So do you see the logic there? He's saying if you have fallen asleep or if anyone has fallen asleep, they are with Christ. 
Then he goes on, he says, for this we declare to you, verse, verse 15, by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command and the voice of an archangel with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the air, in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air. So we will always be with the Lord. And then he tells them, therefore, encourage one another, or therefore, paraclete one another with these words. There it is again. Therefore, paraclete, comfort one another with these words. And here's why he can say that to the person who's passed away. Uh, there's a guy named, uh, and I'll end with this example. There's a guy named Donald, Donald Barnhouse. Uh, and one time he was, um, he gives this example, and I think it's very fitting. Uh, he says that um, he was leaving the funeral of, of a really close family member, and there were some children around, and they were weeping and mourning. And he was trying to explain what death was like in that, that, in that way for them. And passing by them, there was, a, there was a huge truck that would pass by. And he looked at the children, and he drew their attention to it, and he said, look, look, children. He said, do you see that vehicle, that, that huge truck that's driving past? And the children are like, yeah, yeah, we, we see it. And he said, do you see the shadow that's beside the truck? And he asked them, would you rather be hit by the shadow, or would you rather be hit by the truck? That's what he asked them. And they said, uh, duh, the, the shadow. And he said, for the Christian... That's what we've experienced. When death comes to us, we are hit not by the truck because Christ was already hit by the truck. He was already destroyed on our behalf. He says, for the Christian who's trusted in Christ, we are hit by the shadow. We move from life to life. We don't move from life to death. Christians are the only ones who do not truly die in that sense. We move from life to life. We don't move from life to death. We, we do not experience the, the d- death as it really should be. We experience only the shadow. And I just want to encourage us as, as we close up here. Since God comforts us in our affliction, we can and must comfort others in their affliction with the comfort that we have received. And brothers and sisters, we've all received comfort. And it is our divine obligation now to comfort those who are in, in, in affliction. So I, I want us to receive the Lord's Supper today. I want us to do so. I want to turn to um, our passage we always turn to.